Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. The research has consistently shown that how you attach to your parents or caregivers as a child affects how you connect in your current adult relationships. Your attachment style affects everything from what romantic partners and friends you choose to what issues you'll repeatedly face in your relationships and even how your relationships will end. Today, you'll learn to identify your attachment style so you can begin to understand why you do what you do, why you get stuck, and how to move forward. So stay tuned. Dr. Abby Metcalf, and I'm a psychologist, number one Amazon bestselling author, TEDx speaker, and all-around relationship maven. With over 30 years of experience helping people create connection, joy, and ease in all their relationships. What's my secret? Well, besides being totally hilarious, I help you think differently so you can approach your relationships in a completely new way. I'm the best deal in town because the tools I teach apply to all your relationships, which allows you to simplify your life and find the confidence, calm, and deep love you've been craving. Combining my hands-on experience and all the latest research, I've created actionable tips and tools you can apply quickly and easily to create lasting change in all your relationships today. So let's get to it. Welcome back. You're here. Hello. I've missed you. I hope you've missed me too. <sighs> Let's all come to the space. I know you're probably doing 50 things right now or driving or whatever, but I want you to really um, come to this moment and we'll just set an intention to get our learn on today. I'm going to set an intention to bring great energy to the podcast and just my intention of love. I sit here every week really thinking about how much I love you. So there you go. Uh, and I, this is going to be a two-parter kind of series. And I will say that, um, uh, so listening now, you know, next week will make even more sense. But uh, next week, I'm going to talk about um, uh, attachment styles at work, how it shows up in your work relationships. So this week is going to be, you know, parenting, friends, romance, all of that. And then work was such, seemed like its own thing. So I thought I would pull that out and do that. Um, if it's not next week, it'll be soon. I I'm not always sure of the, of the order of things, but it'll be soon. So I just, uh, just want to let you know. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see I have no couches still. I haven't, you know, Max went off to college and I sent him with the couches from my office. And now I've got no couches. I've got a bunch of pillows on the ground, but um, we'll get there. We'll get there. And I'm still sad. I miss him. Um, I don't miss the mess and I don't miss, you know, going for a cookie or something. And it's actually wherever I left it as opposed to it's gone. Uh, but I do miss his, his handsome, wonderful face. Um, anyway, I still got more at home, but yeah, I still got McCartney at home, but still. 
so attachment styles. This, let's see, I covered this way back. It's so weird because, you know, we're over 200 episodes, right? So I covered this topic way, way back. I think it was episode 48. Uh, it's called How Attached Are You to Your Partner? So, and it really just had to do with romance. It was way back, you know, when. And so if you've listened to that, this is going to have a lot of that same information, but more. I've added uh, I've added some things. And I've also, again, kind of broadened it. I just felt like if I was going to do this again, if I was going to, a lot of people have written in about it, uh, asking about attachment styles. It comes up a lot with my clients. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to talk about this, I really want it to be, um, to expand on the knowledge you already have. I, I Otherwise, I would just tell you to go back and listen to the old one. You can go back and listen to the old one. It does have some different, I did change things. So uh, you'll see how you feel. If you like this one so, so much, you can go back. But um, I just want to, I just wanted to say that first. And then I also wanted to give another kind of caveat before we jump in too far. And that is that I'm going to give you, you know, really a lot of information today, which would help you identify your attachment style and uh, and learn how it's affecting your relationships. But I want to be, if you want to be 100% sure of your style, you really need to meet with a trained mental health professional who can administer, there's actually reliable tests that have been created. I will link to one of those in the show notes, abbymetcalf.com forward slash podcast. You can come take a look. It's also always on the relationship tips and tools page. I always do a corresponding blog for every, um, pretty much, I mean, 99.9% of all the uh, podcast episodes, all the episodes are in the blog. So the relationship tips and tools, I call it. And in there, you find links to all the research and, all, you know, because obviously I'm not saying all that on the, on, on the show. Uh, and you'll find just more and different information, links to things that are connected, all the good stuff. So uh, feel free. Also, I talked to a client, a client recently who listens to the podcast and he takes notes. And I said, you know, you don't really have to take notes if you don't want to because everything is in on the relationship tips and tools. So I want to make sure you know about all the wonderful ways I serve you and give you love because I, I know for myself, it really helps me when I write things up so that I'm very clear on what I'm presenting, you know, what I'm, what I'm giving you. Uh, and so there are a few reliable tests. There's like the adult attachment interview or the adult attachment projective test. There, there are tests. And I, you know, in these days of, uh, TikTok and IG Reels and all that, you know, we get into this idea that we can give great information in 30 seconds or a minute, and that's actually not true. And so I find that a lot of people, um, I, I'm on TikTok and IG and Reels and all that, and I always try to give um, a tip or a tool, you know, in 30 seconds or a minute. So I don't talk about deep stuff like this because uh, to me, that's, it's just, unethical is a strong term, but I just think misinformation gets thrown around a lot. And we already don't treat psychology as like, you know, it's called a soft science and all that stuff, which drives me nuts. Um, and so people already kind of dismiss it or think it's not a big deal, or I can be a counselor on my own. And we've got tons of people out there who don't have experience being actual counselors or don't have schooling or all the background that I think you really need to be really, really good at this. Not to say that people who, uh, you don't have to have like 10 degrees. I, I don't believe that at all, but I, I do think there needs to be 
uh, we do a lot in school that includes looking at ourselves, going to therapy ourselves. You know, I do think there needs to be at least some self-reflective work um, and becoming more expert at whatever you're talking about that I would like to see. So I'm not someone who thinks you can only have a degree to, to be listened to at all. And I think we swing the pendulum too far the other way with thinking anybody who has any opinion or who's ever been in therapy can just sort of spout off about things. And I think we get a lot of misinformation. So I don't want to be part of that. So I do want to say if this is something that's a very big issue for you, I, I want you to, you know, have formal help around it. But I'll talk about my tips at the end about how to sort of shift. But um, I do want to say that out loud right now. All right. So I am going to we got to talk about where all this attachment stuff comes from. Like, what, what is it? What is it, Abby, if you've never listened to it before or heard about it before? So basically, it's this. So in the 1940s into the 50s, uh, John Bal Bowlby, sorry, I always say his name wrong. He was a developmental psychologist and psychiatrist. Um, and he was interested in what happened when children and caregivers were separated for brief or longer amounts of time. And he believed that how we attach to these caregivers um, affected our sense of security, our personality development, and our ability to form stable relationships throughout our life. And he, uh, his theory was known as, yeah, you guessed it, attachment theory, <laughs> uh, was really looking at how when this, he, he, did a, he based his theories on this research around what happened when a caregiver, a child was brought into a room and a caregiver left. What did the child do? What, how did they react to when the caregiver wasn't in the room anymore? And so, uh, and that's, and we'll talk about this more as we get into each, each role, each, each, uh, style. But, uh, so he did all that work. And then the attachment theory had a lot of explosive amount of development through the 1960s by one of his students, Mary Ainsworth. She uh, was very famous and, and really um, uh, seminal in directing the research the way it's gone and the theory and expanding and all that. So, and now attachment theory has been researched for decades and it's become one of the basic tenets of psychology really and how we think about human development and behavior so it, it's it's been here it's big now in the 80s there was two psychologists cindy hazan and uh, philip shaver and they began looking at whether how we attach as children could relate to our later adult relationships so here was this one theory that was being studied for so long and now they're saying huh I wonder if our, how we end up in romance later, you know, how we end up with the people we end up with and how we fight and how we end and all that has any bearing, if, if this attachment thing has any bearing on that. And they found out that there absolutely was. So since then, there's been tons of research and lots of agreement uh, that how you formed attachment as a kid with your caregivers definitely affects your later adult relationships. So. Uh, and that's why we're talking about it here. You know me, I'm the research girl. I'm always bringing you science-based, you know, real stuff mixed with my hands-on experience of all these years. So, so I do, so what is attachment exactly? Like, what are, what are we talking about, Abby? Uh, very simply put, attachment is the emotional bond you develop with another person. That's it. And it really reflects the trust and security that you feel in that relationship. 
Okay. All right. Now, the the terminology around attachment theory, oi, there's a lot, there's been a lot. And it really differs depending on who's doing the research, you know, what you're reading, what you're looking at. But all of it generally boil, boils down to this, that there are two main categories of attachment styles, secure and insecure. And on the secure side, there's just one. There's just secure attachment. But on the insecure side, there's a few subcategories. It's divided into subcategories. And that's where things change. <clears throat> when I did the original podcast on this way back, I just talked about the three main ones. I talked about secure and then two different insecure styles. That's that's all I covered. And But it's been more common these days to talk about four and uh, all together. So I'm going to, that's how I'm going to extend this today, not only into other kinds of relationships, but I'm going to cover kind of this fourth one. Uh, and so, because I, you know, I, I did it initially that way just to get the information out and have it be as simple as possible. So Again, you can go listen to that one, but um, I, I really wanted to broaden. I, I wanted to bring more value today. And so that's one of the things I'm doing. The other thing, as I said, that I'm going to do differently is explain each attachment style from three perspectives. I'm going to talk about how it shows up when you're a kid, how it looks in your adult relationships, thinking like, you know, romance and friendships, and how it can affect your parenting style. I have a lot of parents who are uh, out there who listen. And I, I want to talk about attachment style in form of that. So I think there's a lot of new information. I'm really excited about it. And I think it's time to, to just, let's go, let's jump in. So let's first, of course, we have to talk about the secure attachment style <clears throat> as soon as I take a sip of water. Okay, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> so kids who developed with a secure attachment style, basically they saw their primary caregiver as a safe base of operations. And we say primary caregiver a lot. We say parents, you know, it's all the same thing, right? Not everybody was raised by their parents. That's why we like to say primary caregiver. But so, and, and because they felt so safe, you know, from that safety zone, they felt like they could explore their world. Um, they felt confident and yeah, and you guessed it, secure right? Exploring, taking risks, uh, you know, leaving the caregiver and coming back. And so these people, they end up trusting others. They feel comfortable relying on the people they're close to. You know, they're really, that was all getting developed in childhood. Now, when you become a securely attached adult from that secure, nice upbringing, you, well, it makes sense, right? A securely attached kid grows into a securely attached adult. Adult is usually how it works. Um, and they generally have, as adults, they have a few, I'm going to just list some of the characteristics that I see the most often. Um, and of course, from the literature also. But so as adults, they trust other people. So the, the thing that I see the most is that secure folks are very good at asking for help. They'll ask for support. They'll seek out support because they trust <clears throat> that they can get that support from outside and to help them feel good. Um, they also, I've noticed that, yeah, they like being in relationships, but they're also really comfortable being alone, which I think is very specific to um, secure, securely attached types. 
They're also able to regulate their emotions well. It means that they don't like lose their shit over things so easily. You know, they're they're able to regulate. They're able to uh, see something happening and not um, not over uh, respond or under respond. They can really kind of be right where things are. So they do tend to be overall more effective communicators. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they can manage conflict well because they're better communicators. They're just better at managing conflict. They're better at managing when things aren't really working well. Uh, the other thing we see a lot is that they're they're comfortable with intimacy. They're comfortable, more comfortable with emotional closeness. They seek that out. They like it. They they lean into the vulnerability and that kind of thing. So amazing. Um, Another common thing I see among securely attached adults is that they, when I have them in therapy, and you can be very securely attached and come to therapy. You still, because you're not afraid to grow and to check yourself and to see what else is out there and what you might not be realizing. So <clears throat> they can be very self-reflective in their relationships. They're very open. Um, they're not afraid. And, and that's really linked to the fact that they have tend to tend towards higher self-esteem, as you can imagine, right? They, they feel good about themselves. And when you feel good about yourself, you're okay taking a risk. You're okay putting yourself out there. You're okay saying, I love you first. You're okay with all those things, right? And because they trust other people's intentions, as well as trusting themselves, I find that these folks aren't jealous jealousy is pretty much non-existence. There's no like hate of other people. It just doesn't happen when you feel secure, when you, when you have th this base. So really overall, I would say that securely attached adults, they feel, they feel worthy of love. So they really don't need a lot of reassurance in a relationship. They, they get it. They totally get it. And that's, it's a beautiful thing. So when these securely attached kids become securely attached adults and then have kids themselves, they, they become securely attached parents or caregivers. And as parents, they're, you know, one of the best things is that they are good at regulating their emotions. So they're very, they tend to be very clear and direct with their kids. Um, they're not afraid of their kids hating them or, uh, or liking them. They, they're just very, they love them and they're warm, but these are the kind of parents who don't think that their kid, you know, they're, they're not trying to be a best friend to their child because they're secure. They know they feel good about the way that they're parenting. They're not trying to like hold secrets with them and, you know, do all that kind of unhealthy stuff with their kids. They have really good boundaries with their children. They have rules, but they back those with warmth and love. So again, that's those good boundaries are part of the not trying to be friends with their kid or not keeping secrets with their kid or not aligning against, you know, someone else with their kid. They really keep that hierarchy of being the parent and then the kid is underneath that very intact while helping their child feel they, they're really good at accepting kids different their kids' differences. They are unconditionally accepting, not just unconditionally loving. And they're very consistent with that. You know, there's a lot of consistency. So, you know, overall, I think what I see the most is that they're they're just they're like attuned to their children's needs, but they're not overly worried or anxious. They're not tripping about it. They're they're attentive without smothering or helicoptering, right? They really parent with this open, compassionate heart. And that's, I think, what I see the most um, in securely attached parents. 
And and let me just say this, as I'm talking, you might find that you're a, you know, you can work on some things <laughs> and you might notice yourself in some of the securely attached stuff, but you might also notice yourself when I talk about one of the insecure attachment styles. So, you know, you can definitely have a little blend. There's just one that you're predominantly in general. There's usually, well, there's one that's kind of a mix, but we'll talk about that. So, so that was secure. And then we have insecure attachment styles and right. What, so there's only one secure attachment style, but again, depending on the research or the theory of attachment, you're looking at there, there's a variety of insecure attachment styles and they're called by a lot of different names, which hopefully I'll cover today. Complete. There's so many names. So, but I'm going to cover the big ones. And again, in my, in my previous uh, episode, I mentioned two again, for the sake of ease and clarity, but today I'm, uh, I'm going to broaden that understanding. So I'm going to discuss the three most commonly referred to styles, which are anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. Disorganized is the one that I did not mention previously. So we'll talk about that today too. So let's get to it. I feel like I have to stretch. Okay. So the anxious attachment style, let's talk about the anxious attachment style. This is also known, it has <laughs> AKA, they have a lot of different names. It's also known as anxious ambivalent or anxious preoccupied or just preoccupied or just ambivalent. You know, it kind of goes by all these names, but I, I just say anxious. And this attachment type tends to worry nonstop about their relationships. People with this style tend to be insecure about themselves. They have low self-esteem. The, the, this is who the kids are, right? They're, 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 they have low self-esteem. They don't really know themselves or feel like they can trust themselves and they need to be in relationships and rely on other people. So they, as obviously little kids should need to rely on other people, but, um, as they get older, you know, they get in relationships where they really want to. And, uh, these children, or again, into adults are often clingy and needy. And I hate to use those words like that, but that that's the kind of description, descriptive terms. They're going to analyze and overthink the meaning behind what other people say and do. Um, they're usually anxious and stretched, stressed out like tremendously about how they're perceived. So, you know, as a kid, they're just going to seem really anxious about everything and wondering like, what did dad say? What did mom say? What, what does the coach think? You know, am I, am I, is my, am I okay with my teachers? Am I okay here? There, there's a lot of that. And they might, um, really do anything to be in a friend group kind of thing or stuff like that. So that's kind of what you'll see. And these anxiously grow into these anxiously attached adults who are insecure in really all their relationships on some level, their friendships, their romance, everything, uh, their parents, even, you know, everyone. And this insecurity is what's driving their behavior. And this insecurity at its base, at its core, is that they anxiously attached people fear being abandoned or rejected more than kind of anything. So they end up being, in my experience, I mean, super sensitive to being criticized or to really, they see any feedback as criticism, pretty much. They'll, they'll see almost all feedback as some kind of criticism or in a negative light, really, no matter how careful you try to be or, or, or you know, when you speak to them, they, it's, they're very kind of, a little more brittle when it comes to feedback of any kind, or you saying like, again, it could be 
kind of off the cuff, like, oh, yeah, the, the chicken was a little dry or something, you know, and, and getting a real, um, real pushback. Uh, they tend to have a really hard time being alone and are not comfortable being alone, like securely attached folks. They tend towards kind of lower self-esteem and low self-confidence, and they really feel unworthy of love. So they need that constant reassurance validation, approval. They're always, sort of always either overtly or, you know, covertly looking for some kind of reassurance in some way. Um, it's also really common to, for anxiously attached adults to tend towards jealousy. They get real jealous of, um, you know, in a romantic relationship, especially they have a lot of questions about what you're doing and where you've been and who you're with, or you have some friend and they get very upset about it. Um, and that's because, you know, they just have a hard time trusting others in all things, in all things, you know? And so that can be that it comes up as jealousy or wondering what someone's doing, or it can come up with not, you know, delegating or, um, asking for asking people to help with something. They, they kind of never ask for help. God forbid. Uh, <laughs> It's that like, I'll just do it myself. And then they take on too much and then they get upset. Um, they'll get emotionally dysregulated pretty easily depending on other people's moods. So in other words, if someone else is in a bad mood, then that's their mood. If someone's in a good mood, then that's their good mood. You know, they really, they, they get regulated in how they feel based on how others feel very often. Um, there's a lot of people pleasing generally with this type with uh, anxiously attached adults, uh, but then feeling resentful that they're not appreciated enough for their sacrifices, you know, comes out on the other side. Um, you could see how this links a lot to codependency. A lot of what I'm talking about are really signs of a codependent and it, it is very uh, codependents often are anxiously, uh, anxiously attached uh, people. So they, they do, they do tend to go hand in hand. Um, they will readily blame themselves first for anything that goes wrong in any of their relationships. Doesn't matter where it is. Doesn't even matter if they were there or not. If something goes wrong, they're immediately like, that was my fault. Um, they'll go there really quickly. Now, when these anxiously attached adults become parents, you, you can kind of see where this is going, right? They often worry too much about their kids and what they're doing. Um, they might show up. Uh, how could this show up? Let me just think of a good one. Um, oh, uh, uh, oh, I made the wrong preschool choice and now my kids are ruined forever. Their entire lives are ruined. Like there's so much riding on this preschool choice, right? Something like that. Um, they spend a lot of time worrying about maybe what their kids are eating. Um, they might spend hours, you know, researching what kids should eat and cooking and preparing meals so they're perfect and the snacks and the caring with them. And the, you know, it shows up in different ways, that anxiety with the kids. Um, but it shows up generally. <laughs> uh, getting over-involved maybe in their in their kids' day-to-day -day lives, you know, um, just, it's great to be involved, but that there's an over-involvement. There's a, there's a real... Um, thinning of boundaries. There's, there can be a lot of enmeshment uh, because they get over-involved really in, they, I don't want to say that right. They'll, 
they'll bring their kids into their own emotional needs and feelings too much. And so the the kids of parents who are anxiously attached often feel responsible to their parents' moods. And that's because you, if you're the anxiously attached person, when you were a kid, you felt responsible for your parents' moods. You know, it, it's often a, a wonderful family legacy. Um, and so again, these enmeshed or thin boundaries get created, right, with the kids. And again, I do want to say, I want to be really clear that um, number one, I'm not judging any of these styles. I don't want you to judge them. I, there's nothing bad, horrible here. There just is. It just is. Also, you might not see yourself in every one of these, but you, again, might see yourself in a bunch of them. <laughs> and so don't, you know, just decide, well, oh, I, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. But real, but meanwhile, 10 other things were you. It just is. It, it's not, don't, get into your head like, oh, I, I don't want to be anxiously attached, so I'm going to decide I'm not, you know, just it is like, that's how you're going to help yourself best is by, uh, it's not about pigeonholing or, or labeling. It's about understanding why you do what you do. And you can have a better understanding of that if you sort of know where you sit, you know, which one of these is your main go-to. Okay. The second insecure attachment style we're going to talk about is the avoidant attachment style. And this is also known as dismissive avoidant, sometimes anxious avoidant, um, depending again on what you're reading. And this kid and adult is super independent. They, they are fine doing things on their own. They seem very confident and self-sufficient. That's how it appears, right? It's a lot of smoke and mirrors, but that's kind of what they do. They sort of take care of themselves. Um, they don't want to rely on others, people with this attachment style. They want to be in control. Uh, if this is your style, you know, it might be that you come across sort of distant and aloof in relationships. These kids can even seem like they don't really care about their, what their parents think at all. Um, and maybe don't, you know, there, there's a, there's a separation there. Uh, they're, they don't really like to open up to others. Um, especially when it comes to expressing any kind of private thoughts or emotions or real emotions that are underneath it all. And, uh, so when they, you know, so here you go, right? Kids, teenagers, and you become adults, these avoidantly attached adults, they can, again, seem sort of confident and sociable, you know, often very, can be like, very likable. Everybody can be very likable. Um, Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. But again, some of that is smoke and mirrors. <laughs> they have a very hard time, I would say the majority of work is that they have a very hard time identifying feelings, feeling feelings, noticing that they're having a feeling, 
expressing their feelings, <laughs> they, they, they suck at feelings, just not really good at it. Um, this is really, and I've shared this before. I, I, this is my, this was my style being avoidantly attached and it's still where I go. I've done a lot of work to become securely attached and have long, good, healthy relationships and to have close harmonious relationships with my kids and all the things, my friendships, all that. But boy, it is a work in progress. I will tell you that number one, number two, um, I, when I'm uh, uh, upset or worried or afraid, it's where I go. I will tell you to this day, when I am sick, when I am physically sick, I don't want anybody near me. I, I, I don't want you to ask me if I want water. I don't want you to bring me anything. I, I, and now I've, I've pushed through this and I will ask for help when I'm sick now. I'm not, <laughs> Gary is somewhere laughing right now. Um, I'm not good at it. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not, I'm not good at it. But I've, I'm better. You know, I've had COVID twice now. And, uh, you know, I had to have help the first time, especially I was pretty sick the first time. Don't worry, I'm good. Um, I didn't have any of the bronchial stuff, but I had a, a fever for 20, 22 days. It was insane. Anyway, it was way back before we were even, like, there wasn't even a test for COVID at the time. But I was sick a long time and I was quarantining a long time. And I had to have people bring me things. You know, I didn't have any food in the house. You know, I had to have help. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it, it's like, but mostly I was very, because people kept asking me, oh my God, you were all alone for all that time. And, oh, and I was like, yeah, it was great. Like, I'm fine. I was fine being alone. I could be alone for a very long time. Um, so there, there's where it really comes out. And even if I have a headache or something, I just want to go to bed. I don't want anyone checking on me. I don't want you to ask how I am. Yeah, I know. It's like, it sounds so bratty when I say it out loud, but it's just, it's just where I go. And I do try to not stay there because it's really shutting out the people that love me who are trying to help me, right? It made, it made Max, my son, crazy because he always really wanted to help. Gary too. What am I saying? Everybody gets crazy. Um, but just know that, that you can really get better and really shift, get better. I shouldn't call it that. Really shift your style into something healthier, but you're never like done unless you grew up so securely attached, you know? <laughs> but again, even if you grew up securely attached, you might be relating right now to what I'm saying, because I don't know that anyone is a hundred percent of anything, right? So you might, uh, yeah, you, you might feel a little of this. Okay. Um, Avoidantly attached people are definitely more comfortable alone than with others, I guess I would say next, and really like to be in control of their environments so they can decide how much to let other people in. So for example, I'm like super, oh, I'm talking about me. Let's talk, it's the Abby show. Uh, yeah, I like social media, never got into social media because I didn't want to share my life on such a big um, stage. I don't want everybody up in my business. I still don't like it. I share now, like in my weekly love letter, and I share here on the podcast about myself because I've become more securely attached <laughs> and I can do that now. I can allow my worlds to collide. You know, I can do that better, but boy, I have always been very controlling about that. I still cringe when like Gary's with my family. I'm like, oh God. Um, it's just hard for me not to get controlling and want people to act a certain way and whatever. So uh, it's, it's tough. It, it can still be tough. I'm, I'm going to just out myself completely. Um, 
avoidantly attached can also be really kind of dismissive of other people, especially when it comes to other people's feelings. So in my old life, I remember I just thought everybody was always overreacting because I didn't have feeling or I didn't, I, I had feelings. I just couldn't identify them. Um, I've shared before that, you know, I'd be in drug rehab and they would, <laughs> they always went around the circle asking everybody how they were feeling. I hated that so much. And I would always seat myself in this perfect way so that I was never first. And so they would go around the room and I would hear people share, you know, share two feelings before we start group. And, you know, I, I, I would take notes. <laughs> I hear someone say, oh, I feel content or I feel shy or I feel anxious. Right. And I was like, oh, shy, anxious, overwhelmed. You know, I, I, cause otherwise my answer was always the same. Oh, it's good. I'm fine. It's good. I feel fine. It's okay. That was my answer to everything. I didn't even know. I would know if I was really mad or I would know if I was laughing a lot or, you know, maybe if I was really sad, if I let that happen, which was rare. Um, but that was it. That's all I had. So if you've ever looked at one of those feeling lists, you know, there's like 800 feelings and I had four, you know. So it, w what happens from that is that you, you're you not always so good at identifying. <laughs> Look what I do for a living. Isn't that the best? And now, again, it's a skill. I've become much better at knowing my own feelings and seeing it in others and seeing what they're feeling and talking about feelings. It's I'm probably the best person to do it because I know how hard it is. Uh, the other thing is um, often avoidance have obviously commitment issues and they can show up in a variety of ways. So it can be difficult, obviously, committing to a long-term relationship or if they're in one, they might do things like keep their money separate uh, or not be willing. I see things like they don't want to take on the debt of the other person, like their partner's debt or something. And and I'm not saying you're avoidantly attached if you've done that, but it's a sign. You know, I've worked I work with a lot of couples, and I'll notice that there's this way that they're not quite a team. They're sort of each on their own little island, and I mean they they have a lot of team things, and they're married and they're together a long time. But there's this way that there's a separation. Hence, coming to see me eventually because they aren't they don't feel that trust starts to really erode because you know that the other person on some level is kind of out for themselves and not for it doesn't isn't just all in with you and so you can have a successful long-term relationship i'm not saying you can't and you don't even have to change anything if you don't want to party on go for it i'm just telling you how it can look and what the pitfalls might be um avoidantly attached definitely don't need emotional intimacy and they can keep others at arm's length emotionally overall, you know, so that can really be seen a lot. Um, so again, they become avoidantly attached parents when they have kids. So they might not notice their children's emotional needs. They might use sort of a broad brushstroke when they address their emotional needs. Again, they can kind of minimize their children's what they what they're saying, how they're feeling, what they need about that, or label them as you know too much, too sensitive, uh, too spoiled, things like that. Use that kind of language. Too needy, too clingy. Um, so you can imagine how if let's say you had an avoidant parent, you might become an anxiously attached kid, right? Because you're always getting told you're too much, you're too this. You know, you can see how that could how that could happen. Or you might become avoidant yourself and just stuff your feelings aside and, you know, you're not getting anything from them. So I'll just go out and get it wherever I can kind of thing. Um, sometimes avoidantly attached parents can be 
uh, very controlling and overly strict with their kids. Again, their kind of boundaries, that stuff can get a little screwy. Um, and really expect their kids to be independent and able to stand up for themselves. So again, kind of dismissive about certain things. I am, you know, I think that that's really where I did the majority of my work around being avoidant was when I, and when I had my kids, I felt so different. And that's when a lot of things, I think for a lot of us, when we have children is when it really shines a light on how we were uh, parented ourselves because we realize that how we're acting with a kid is not uh, with our own kids is not how we, what happened to us. And you start to really see like, Oh, that was screwed up. Like, wait, wait a minute. What happened there? You know, you start to really notice, um, yeah, how screwed up your childhood was, I guess, for lack of a better way to say that, taking some water. Okay. So the four, the third insecure style, so we talked about anxious, we talked about avoidant, and then there's a third one called disorganized attachment style. And this came a little later in the game. In, in This was first introduced in 1986 um, by uh, two psychology professors. I, I'm 99% sure they were at UC Berkeley, actually. I live here near the school right now. Um, don't quote me on that. I'm, I'm really pretty sure though. I'll link to it in the, again, in the show notes to their research. But uh, so Mary Main and Judith Solomon, these two women were the first ones to sort of coin that. So this is already mid to late 80s. So you can see how uh, a lot of, you know, earlier research and things that happened didn't include disorganized. And there's been less research on disorganized, I will tell you that, although there has been some. So People with a disorganized attachment style, they are the ones who switch back and forth between anxious and avoidant. So it's really like a mishmash of anxious and avoidant. The thing that really marks uh, a disorganized style is being really, I mean, extremely inconsistent. Like you just don't know what they're going to do and having zero trust in other people, like zero. So as children with a style, they can seem, they can be aggressive with their caregivers or fearful with their caregivers or go toggle back and forth between the two because they're likely growing up in a disorganized or negative household, right? Where they've been rejected, hurt. Even this is where you see the really scary stuff, like uh, kids even being ridiculed by their parent or caregiver. And they just don't feel any safety anywhere. And I will say that when that does happen, when you get a parent who's, really that's abusive, right? In that way, or super negligent. Um, usually the parents were victims of trauma or abuse and likely weren't treated. And then they do this with their kids, right? I mean, you can kind of see it. So with, with disorganized adults, it's really hard to predict how they'll act or what they'll do in a given situation. They have a very hard time regulating their emotions the majority of the time. They have very high levels of anxiety and worry. Um, and sort of outsized fears of rejection and abandonment. So yes, people with uh, anxious style certainly have that, but this is like on, on crack, you know, this is like on steroids with that. They don't trust other people in like any situation pretty much. Um, and the thing I think that really sort of stands out is that they're really prone to not only like mood disorders, like depression or anxiety, but also to personality disorders. They're really prone to personality disorders, to substance use disorders, um, they're more likely to engage in self-harming behaviors. You know, this is where we see some of that. And when you think about disorganized, right, it kind of 
just the language sort of fits what you're hearing there, right? And and what how they might end up. Um, disorganized parents or caregivers, you know, when if you're if you have disorganized attachment style and you're a parent, you know, you likely have your own unresolved trauma. So being a parent is fearful. It's a fearful, anxious place. Anytime your kid approaches you with a need, you're like torn about what to do and how to do it. And it's torturous. And uh, so I'm sorry. I love you. I love you all. I love you avoidance. I love you anxious. I certainly love the disorganized. Uh, you likely, you might alternate between aloof, between being a, kind of more aloof or ambivalent with your kids to them being like overly clingy with your kids. Uh, you might feel just psycho yourself about it. Um, and this is why. Uh, there's just, what I've seen is that disorganized, people with disorganized attachment style who are parents, they just feel emotionally overwhelmed by being a parent. And uh, that's just what happens. And so I love you. I'm sorry. I know it's so hard. Because uh, it is, it just sucks. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to, so it doesn't mean, unless, you know, that you're a bad parent because you have some anxious stuff or some avoidance stuff or some disorganized stuff. It just, you know, it's about how do you learn from it and how do you uh, get better? And so the question always, right, is, you know, can I become more securely attached? And as, you know, you probably, <laughs> you could probably imagine, the research shows that if you're more securely attached, you're you're happier and more satisfied in your relationships and life as a whole. So with your friends, with your work, with your partner, with your parents, with everybody. The good news is that, you know, believe it or not, most people are securely attached. And there was a big study done, this is way early on, uh, it, by um, Hazan and Shaver. Again, I'll, I'll link to it. And they found that 56% of people in their study identified themselves as secure. So like over half. And 25% were um, avoidant and 19% identified as anxious. Now, again, remember, this is like, I think this study was in 87 or 88. So the disorganized got introduced in 86, I think, you know, about. So we didn't have that in that, in that big study, but it's been studied since. And the numbers I see, they say about disorganized or something like 20, 20%. Um, I don't... I'll link to that research too. I, I, I'd like, I'd like more research before I'm going to get really clear on it. But so, but that big question, can, can I become Abby? Can I change and become more securely attached? And the good news is that the short answer is yes, you certainly can. You can absolutely cultivate a more securely attached style, but it's going to take some work and effort. You're going to need to uncover the ways you're currently defending yourself from being emotionally close in your relationships. that It's a defense mechanism to not be emotionally close. So uh, there's a few things you can do to get there, okay? I, I think I've got like five tips, okay? I'm gonna give you five. They're short, so hang in there. Uh, so first of all, just notice where your brain might be right now. You might be feeling a little overwhelmed. You might be thinking, oh my God, I'm disorganized. Oh my gosh, I'm this, I'm that. Just take a breath, take a breath. You might be feeling guilty right now. Oh, I'm a terrible parent. I'm a terrible daughter. I'm a terrible partner. No, 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 no. That's not why, that's not why Abby does podcasts. And that's not what I want you sitting with right now. I just 
self-acceptance is a beautiful thing. You know, self-awareness that I preach friggin' all the time, right? That's what we're doing right now. It is just bringing something to the surface so that you can grow and find more joy in your life. That is the only, only motive I ever have in any podcast I put out. It, that's why I don't cover certain topics that I don't think are going to get you there. So, uh, so other people can do that stuff. This is what I do. So first things first, you know, therapy, I, here I am doing the podcast so, because I really want everyone to have access to great information without having to go to a therapist because a lot of people don't have access, aren't, they can't go to a therapist. They don't have the money. They don't have, uh, there's no therapists in their town. Uh, they're too far away. It's culturally something they can't do. I've had some really, uh, I have a lot of famous clients in my practice who just feel like no matter what, they're going to get found out. Um, I have people who, you know, fear executives who fear that their board directors will find out and they'll be labeled. I mean, all kinds of things. There's all kinds of reasons that people don't want to go to therapy. But I just have to tell you, you're going to have to work on seeing what you haven't seen before. And therapy is really a great way to do that. You're, you know, it's like you're a fish who doesn't know it's wet. And having someone like a therapist to give you feedback about what you're doing and your subconscious motivations, it's really the first step in changing how you react in your relationships. It just is. If you're, you know, if you're anxiously attached, you know, you probably need to work on self-esteem a lot. And that's a good place to do it. If you're avoidantly attached, it's about learning to be more vulnerable and connecting to your partner with, or your friends with more empathy and compassion, right? Um, for if you're disor if you're disorganizedly attached, <laughs> if you have a disorganized attachment style, it will likely take therapy for sure. I do want to say that because um, you're going to probably have to work through, through some unresolved or undischarged trauma, and that's going to be a minute. And I'd rather you did that with a professional. Uh, but one of the things I always say to people is, you know. First of all, there's people who specialize in attachment. If you really think this is the be all end all, I would find a therapist who specializes in attachment and you can Google that and find someone. You can ask, uh, if you have insurance, you can call your insurance company and ask for someone who uh, specializes. Believe it or not, the insurance companies can have a search function in their database and they can search for certain things, you know, a substance abuse specialty or attachment or couples or whatever, and they can search for that. I'm also going to tell you that to me, a therapy relationship is very much like dating. It's, uh, uh, you you've, don't think, you know, maybe go to someone three times and decide or interview them on the phone first and really ask all the questions you want to ask. Get a feeling for this person before you go in. Um, it's really important and a really good thing to do. I, when uh, people call me, I always say to them, well, you know, first things first, have you looked at my website? Like, go list, go read a few of the, you know, blog posts, go watch my TED talk, go listen to a podcast episode. I want them to do that first. They have an idea of me. I mean, most therapists don't, <laughs> don't have everything I have, but you know, out there like that, but you can get a good idea if you just go to the website generally of who this person is. If uh, sometimes they just have, you know, those pictures of like, like a stack of rocks. I don't know what that's about, why that became popular, like some Zen stack of like rocks on top of each other. I, I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm not, I'm sorry. I sound like I'm hating. I'm not hating on therapists who do that. God bless you. That's, that's a, but that's its own thing. You, you should get a feeling from that. 
um, sometimes they don't have their own picture up there and they just have like pictures of fake people being happy or something, you know, like get, get an idea. Maybe you like the fake pictures of people being happy because that's where you want to go. I got a pic bunch of pictures of me on the website. It looks like I'm a crazy person. I, you know, I, <laughs> when I was creating it, this is one thing, cause I'm sort of my brand. This one thing's to do, but I cringe when I look at my website. I'm like, oh my God. But I just cringe at the pictures. I don't cringe at the rest. I'm so proud of the rest. I'm so glad that there's this place where you can go and just get, you know, all this great information. But my bottom line is it's, it's so that's like dating, right? Some of these therapists I just described would not be good. My therapist doesn't do that stuff. I love my therapist. She, she doesn't have rocks on her website. That's not my thing. It's not my game, not my jam. And people who do like the, 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 I don't know why I'm on the rock stack. You leave me alone. Anyway. Um, they're not going to like me and that's okay. There, there's a, there's a, there's a key for every lock, you know, there, there's somebody out there for everybody. You just, you might have to like dating, you might have to do some checking. So what I don't like is when people tell me therapy doesn't work, uh, therapy, of course it works. It doesn't work if you have the wrong person. It doesn't work if you have a crappy therapist, but there's a lot of really good therapists out there. So uh, there's also other kinds of therapy, you know, there's EMDR and there's biofeedback and there's uh, psilocybin, there's all kinds of things. What I want is for you not to take it just on your own. Um, I'd really like you to do some digging. That's not just you being your own doctor. It's like, you know, if you have a sharp pain in your side that goes on forever, I think at some point, yeah, you might Google for a little while. But at some point, if it's not getting better, I think you go to an MD because they specialize in that. They can look. They have all kinds of things you don't know how to do no matter how much you Google. It's the same with therapy. Again, I know we're called the soft science, but there's a lot of science. It's not just soft. So, you know, check out. Find your person. Find, find, your, find your love match um, and go from there. Number two, and this is true for whether you're anxious, whether you're avoidant, or whether you're um, disorganized, is to practice identifying and sharing feelings. I, that is tip number two. This is the gold, people. This is it. The gold is feelings. Feelings. Let's all sing the song. Nothing more than feelings. I have a terrible voice, but you get the idea. Do you remember that song? How old are you? Whoever's listening, if you're young, look it up. Uh, it's a really bad song that was written many years. I think it was in the 70s, I want to say, maybe 60s. Um, anyway, you should listen. Uh, you got to get good at this. I don't know what else to say. So you're going to need to, right, you know, understand what you're feeling in a minute. Uh, you're going to need to up your mindfulness game right? I highly recommend setting a reminder on your phone for three times a day. And when it goes off, you know, stop and identify three real feelings you're having. Just that, right? Good, fine, okay, not real feelings. I don't know is not a feeling. I, you know what? You know what? You know how much I love you right now? You know what I'm going to do? Okay. So there's a really good feelings list that I use a lot from the Hoffman Institute. So you can Google Hoffman Institute feelings list. I bet it'll come up. Or you can come over to my website, abbymetcalf.com, and come to either the research tips and tools page with this, uh, you know, attachment pod, uh, episode, or you can go on the podcast page and there will be a link to download that feelings list. Because I think, I, shout out to you, Hoffman Institute. It's so good. And I really, I give it to all my clients all the time. I highly, highly recommend that you get a list and you dig a little deeper. 
dig a little deeper. You're ha you're stopping yourself. The, the reminder goes off at, at 11 o'clock in the after in the morning and you stop and you go, how am I feeling? And you check in and you, it's, I want to, what happens is that if you're not good, when the beginning, when I tried to do this, I sucked because like anything else, it's a skill and identifying your feelings is a skill. And again, like any other skill, you'll get better with practice. So so you have to do it over and over and over. And in the beginning, I would try to identify a feeling. And I just couldn't do it. And so those lists helped. We used, in my day, we had those, oh, those lists with the little faces. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Every rehab had them. Um, uh, but now we're a little better. We have a, a more extensive list. We have more feelings, more nuanced ways to go. So just take a minute, look through the list, see what, what hits for you, see what makes sense, and try to identify three. I will also say that if the only thing you can identify is anger, that's a, that we call that a top emotion. So try to go a little deeper. What's under the anger? What's under, what's under? You can ask that question over and over with a feeling. What's under my sadness? What's under my uh, frustration? What's under my resentment? You know, and that's how you get to the three feelings. And so do this, practice this, get good at this. Ask your partner to ask you how you're feeling. Ask your best friend, make it part of meetings before you sit down. How are we feeling? I don't care, but get good at it. It's gonna really change the game when it comes to shifting to a more secure style. And then mindfulness, which I kind of already said in the last one, but I'm gonna separate it out right now and make it number three. I don't care how sick you are of me talking about it. It's the game changer, right? You, you won't be able to make any of these changes if you're not aware in your moments that you're acting in old defeating behaviors. It's not good, it just doesn't work that way. You've got to get good at it. So. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I will link to everything. Get my mindfulness starter kit. If you haven't gotten it yet, I'll link it to all the places. It's also on the shop page of the website, even though it's free, it's absolutely free, but you got to make that. And, you know, setting the, so to me, you're killing two birds with one stone. If you were to set the uh, reminder on your phone, let's say for three times a day, and when it goes off, you're being mindful, you're coming to, you know, where here and now in your moment and then to see how you feel. It's great, you, you, you got a two for one there. Look at me, look at me, giving you a deal. Number four is taking part in connecting activities, okay? So sitting in front of the TV with your partner isn't necessarily connecting time. It's just downtime, it's just sitting time. So you wanna find ways to connect even briefly with your partner or with your friend, or again, whoever this, these people are in your life, right? Because what happens if you're just sitting watching TV and you're anxiously attached, it doesn't feel like enough, right? Because it's not connecting. But then later you say to your partner, I miss you, we don't spend any time together. And your partner's like, we just binge watched two hours of something on Netflix. Like, what are you talking about? Do you see what I'm saying? And then you feel like the crazy one and like you're being too clingy, too needy, but it's because you weren't really getting connection. You weren't really getting what you needed. If you're avoidantly attached, you're right. You love sitting and just watching TV and not talking, and that's not good for you. So it's going to help you to connect, <laughs> to lean in. Do you see? See, it works for everybody. And disorganize is the same. Who knows which way you're going that day, uh, how you're feeling. But either way, when we have true connection, when we lean in, it really changes. So that can be maybe you, you know, uh, uh, walk the dog together after dinner and talk about your day. 
Maybe you have a morning gratitude chat daily. You know, you have coffee together and you have a little gratitude chat. Maybe you take a ballroom dance class together once a week. Uh, maybe you have, I've talked about little couples happy hour, you know, every day after work, you take a half hour, you go sit on your porch and you just shoot the shit and have a cocktail if you want. Um, I'd be eating, eating an Oreo and some chocolate milk or something, but you know. Actually, I like Oreos with regular milk because the chocolate milk's too chocolatey, right? In those instances. But anyway, but I do like me a glass of chocolate milk. So, you know, whatever it is for you. And you would just take that time to truly connect. Set an emotional goal for the day. Hey, what's an emotional goal? Like do that in the morning. You know, how can I support you in that? Set intention. What's your intention for today? Here's mine. You know, all of those are ways to connect. All of those are ways to move towards a, a more securely attached style as you learn to be more truly intimate and close, true, like true closeness. You're learning that it's safe. You're learning you can trust the other person. You're, you're really learning a lot. And if you're super afraid to do this with a partner in a romantic way, start with a best friend or start with your sister or start with someone that feels safer and then move into the, you know, uh, scarier, shall we say, relationships. And then the last thing I'm going to recommend is that you do take a, the test. You know, you figure out your real attachment style and learning more about it. And you make that a, a goal for a little while. And I will link, as I promised, to uh, one of the, you know, certified tests, one of the tests that's been shown to work uh, on the website, again, under this particular episode and on the blog in this episode so that you can um, go take it. It's kind of, always, I don't know, it's always kind of fun to take anyway. Um, and see where you, you know, answer honestly, see where you are, and then, you know, go deep on whatever that style is, learn about it, you know, get yourself some real information, read the research. I, you know, there's nothing special about me reading research. It, it's not, you get better at it over time. I know some people say, oh, I couldn't read that stuff. It, it's so confusing. It makes no sense. But you'd be amazed how much you could read. And the more you read it, the better you get at it. It's like, a, it's like a, again, it's a skill. It's a type of reading. So you'll get better and better. So whew, that's it. Those are my five tips. Those are all the ways you can be attached. As I said, soon, if not next week, I'll be doing something on um, be, how attached, you know, attachment styles at work. If you really like this, I think you'll like that too. And as always, I want to remind you to go gentle and easy on yourself. Again, it is never, ever my intent. You know, I'm not judging you. I, I don't think it's wrong or bad to be any of these. It is, we're human and I'm human too. We're, we get to be human together. You and I, we get to do this together. We get to be on this journey together. We get to learn from each other and grow and find more joy because that's growth and joy. That's the definition of success. I say it once, I say it all the time. So here's to a week of really finding that growth and, and not being afraid of it and leaning in. And here's to a week of being really self-compassionate and loving with and gentle with yourself. I love you, I adore you. Have an incredible week and I'll talk to you real soon. Thank you for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with wonderful me, Dr. Abby Metcalf. And I've got two quick things to say. Just give me one more minute. First, I love spending this time with you and I work hard to make sure every single episode is going to help you move from any feelings of frustration or resentment or anxiety to that connected, hopeful, confident. That's always my goal. 
So if you have any ideas for a future episode or just want to say hi, let me know what the podcast is doing for you. Anything. You can email me at abby at abbymedcalf.com. How simple is that? And the second thing I want to say is if you like the podcast, you're going to go crazy, crazy for my book. My book is really good. I'm really proud of it. You can find it on Amazon or on my website under the shop section on my website at abbymetcalf.com. It's called Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. And even if your partner will do a thing, the book will still really help you. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates at beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food, and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.